All right, are we all ready? Now I gotta remember what I say. <laughs> This is Tamika Mason. My pronouns are she and hers. Welcome to HR Wonder Woman. I am with Wendy and Anne and hope you enjoy the show. Hello, welcome to the latest and greatest episode of HR Wonder Women. I am your host, Wendy, and with me as always is Anne. How are you, Anne? Wendy, I'm doing good. We just had our watch party last night from our panel, and I am riding high on that. It was so good, and it was so inspiring, and I'm excited to the very next day get to jump into this conversation with Tamika. Um, uh, this is one of those episodes where I get to already know the guest, and you are meeting her for the first time, and you're in for a treat. I am so excited. I love it when we can bring in new people that uh, that we're introducing to everybody, to our community, essentially. Um, you know, that's what we're doing, building the community and um, trying to introduce new people into it. So super excited to that. Um, but we will start the way we do every show, and that is with how we identify. Um, we, we talk about it every show, but it is important to understand how we see the world um and the lens through with we, which we see it which is why we focus on um or talk about our identity um so i am wendy i am white cisgender straight uh female christian married um middle class um uh non-disabled uh again you know you name and you name the privilege i probably have it uh, i i liked um Someone shared in our chat the other night, they're also short. <laughs> and I was like, all right, you know, <laughs> we'll bring height into it. I also am, uh, am short. <laughs> so it's, but I did like that people were sharing how they identified in the chat as well, just to kind of see, again, how we see the world. Um, and my pronouns are she and her. How about you, Anne? Uh, yeah, my pronouns are also she and her. I am a, um, white, cisgender, straight, non-disabled woman, um, lots of other identities that I could talk about. I'm a, a wife and a mother and a grandmother, which being a grandmother is like hands down the best thing ever. And I highly <laughs> recommend it. Everybody should get grandchildren. You don't have to have kids first. Just get yourself some grandchildren. Um, but I think that those- I don't think that's how it works. <laughs> well, that's sad. <laughs> But I think like for the purpose of this conversation where we're really talking about diversity and equity and inclusion, the important things as far as like the lens that I bring um, are being a, a, a white cisgender straight non-disabled woman. Um, I think that it's important to, to name those labels and recognize those labels so that those identities don't limit um, to where I only see the world through those lenses, that I'm able to see the world through other lenses. And you can't know that unless you understand the ones that you are inherently carrying around. Um, Agreed. That I am super, super excited to introduce Tamika Mason. Uh, Tamika leads Building for Mission, BFM, a talent consulting firm that partners with organizations across multiple sectors that seek to center people development and equity in their talent practices. She's a strategic thought partner to leaders regarding their ready race, equity, diversity, inclusion, and talent strategy needed to meet business goals and achieve greater organizational effectiveness. Her experiences starting and leading organizations, serving as a senior leader and consultant have given her the unique ability to lead and guide large complex organizational change. 
Her work related to diversity, equity, and inclusion while at Year Up is featured in the Equity in the Center publication, Awake to Woke to Work, Building a Race Equity Culture. Tamika's work is devoted to building the capacity of individuals, leaders, and innovative organizations to reach their full potential, and she's skilled in building the organization and people systems needed for greater impact. Welcome, Tamika. Um, I am going to jump right into our first question, which is that we do know that intersectionality matters. It's a reason that we do this podcast. And we all have many ways in which we identify and different parts of our identity matter more in some spaces than others. So when thinking about this conversation, how do you identify? Wow, uh, thank you so much, uh, Wendy and Anne, for that excellent introduction. I wish I could get that more often, especially on these informal days amidst this environment that's happening right now. Uh, across our globe. Uh, but I do think that it's really important to um, center and to name the lenses through which we see the world um, and through the which the world sees us. Uh, it is a starting conversation for how that might influence our perspectives and even the potential bias um, and how it might influence others who see us. And so if I were to name some of my identities, I am a Black cisgender woman. I am a mom, I'm a mom of three girls. I consider myself a woman of faith. Um, I'm also on the border of Gen X and millennial. I, I think I most mostly identify with Gen X. Like I've always considered myself Gen X. And then when I was leading a session and doing something with some folks, I realized that, you know, I might be right there on the line. I'm, I'm like, okay, there might be some things that I identify with uh, being a millennial, but mostly Gen X. I'm a military child. My dad was in the army and that experience of traveling to over nine different states and two different countries really has shaped me and my own experience and my view of the world and communities. I'd also say that I'm a first generation college student and that too has shaped a lot of my experiences professionally. So yeah, so thankful that you all put that question out there. My pronouns are she and her, so did wanna also put that out there. I think that's you know like you said we don't we don't talk about it a lot and it's good to be able to to have that focus um so we are all moms of girls so we could probably go down that road too <laughs> i do also have a son in full disclosure two okay. girls and one boy so you, you're a little bit off but yeah i have two girls so totally um totally there with you moms of girls um, we gotta stick together on that. So yeah, I don't know how I got three type A opinionated. They're all different, but very opinionated <laughs> girls. And my mom just chuckles at me, like, really? <laughs> but what are the odds? <laughs> oh, it's amazing. It, it it it's amazing to watch them. I love it. I love it. Um, so want to learn a little bit more about um, Building for Mission, which provides talent and OD strategies as well as DEI support. So tell us a little bit about what drove you to start it and kind of what your, your hopes are to achieve for your clients. Yeah, I think that's a really great question. It's so funny. Uh, what drove me to start BFM uh, is a pretty packed type of uh, question for me, I, you know, I worked in the for-profit and nonprofit sectors uh, throughout my career and have really loved working with social enterprises, mission-driven organizations, and even just other organizational cultures that really center people um, and their workforce as assets to their business. And I remember just being at a pivotal time in my career and wanting to do more and just wanting bigger challenges, wanting to influence greater impact, 
not quite sure what that was, um, but I'd been at the organization I was in for a while. And as I was deciding um, to leave the organization and thinking that was the right next step for me, I had a mentor ask me, Tamika, are you running from something? Or are you running to something? And it was such a great question. My answer at the time was both. And it, as I reflect on that moment, I was really running to something. And I realized that I could not achieve that where I was. And so therefore it made it all the more clear that my next step was outside of the organization and ended up being um, starting building for mission. And so I always wanted to do talent consulting. It was always kind of one of those things, oh, that would be cool. But I never saw myself as a business owner. And I definitely, it was not in my DNA to leave a job when I didn't have a job. And that was kind of the definition <laughs> when I was making that when I was making that choice. Uh, but you know, especially as a woman of faith, it was something a decision I did not take lightly and did not make quickly. And feel like for a number of different reasons, it was the right time for me. And things came together in ways that I could not have planned, even though I did try to have as much of a plan together as 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 I uh, could. So yeah, that's how I, that's, that's what drove me to start um, building permission. If I were to say a little bit more about just the work that we do and the work that I do, our expertise really lies at the intersection of what I call ready, race, equity, diversity, and inclusion work, um, talent and human capital development, and organization development, because it takes um, an understanding of change management and how and, and, and understanding people and how to implement that into practices and systems to really fully implement talent strategies and um, and ready strategies within the organization. And so that's the work that we do. I, I love it because I feel like people are really every organization's greatest asset. And I'm just really passionate about partnering with organizations as they seek to attract, engage, develop, and really just maximize a diverse workforce. That is awesome. I love the question, are you running from something or are you running to something? I think that's really powerful. Um, I do think a lot of times we start out by saying, I, I need to run away. Um, but oftentimes, even in that moment, when we start thinking, well, where am I gonna go? It becomes a running too. Um, yeah, like yeah. until you get that running too. Right, and that's part of my own story. Is I, I did not. I'm a, I'm a faithful person. You know, I mean, that kind of comes from my genetics. So like, I'm, I'm going to complete a task if I have a task. Uh, I am thinking about no matter what pain I might be feeling or experiencing, um, who am I serving, and you know, trying to have that greater good uh, in mind. And it, it, it really is. It, not, it wasn't until I felt like I was clear on what those next steps were, and it became clear that I, I could no longer do that in my current capacity, that I knew that it was, it was time. So that was the, the tipping point for me. Yeah, that's awesome. So you talked about how you, you really are kind of living in that intersection with, you know, um, talent and talent development and organizational development and that ready work, the race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. Um, what happens, what do you, what do, you do 
um, if an organization comes to you and they're really like really focused on the talent development or the talent strategy or the OD and the equity piece is not really big in their mind, how do you approach that? Yeah, um, that's really a good question. Uh, I honestly don't do a lot of trying to convince an organization that um, it's important for them to invest in ready. Uh, there are, for, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's baffling to me that for so many years, organizations consider themselves doing talent strategy work and OD work, and somehow it ignores uh, and doesn't address race, equity, diversity, and inclusion. For me, they just are one and the same when you're talking about people and you're talking about building organizations. Um, and so the fact that I need to even tap it on there so that people know that this is actually coming along with the package uh, is baffling to me, but I do it so that people know what they're going to expect when they, when, when they work with us. Um, however, there is a lot of learning that our clients need and that they're looking for when they partner with me and my team. And the one thing I really try to do is help elevate voices um and stakeholders within their scope and so i try to really elevate the well dei and race equity to what end you know what what does that mean for your mission what does that mean for the services and the products that you deliver what does that mean to your client base um what does that mean for the employees that you have what does that mean for the talent that you need or you would like to have and it is through asking those questions um, given the work that the organization does I try to partner with them on their own journey to hear from their own stakeholders uh, the value proposition around um, race equity, um, integrating um, diversity and inclusive practices into their organization and the value that that can ultimately have to the work that they do. So I, I'm, I do a lot of work just elevating those voices um, and bringing that type of data to the table and partnering with organizations. And then once that's there, it's really more around the strategies of, of integrating that into their cultures. And it's funny, there's some organizations where there's just blissful ignorance, right? You know, we're, we're inclusive, but we're all the same. You know, I mean, of course there's diversity in every organization in some type of way. Um, and so for organizations that are in that blissful ignorance, it's kind of, what are the voices um, that are already in their midst in their environment that they just don't realize um, are there and how do I help them understand um, and hear those voices? Uh, and it kind of goes into other specific things in terms of successful hiring, talent mapping and succession planning and you know, um, really leveraging and valuing um, multicultural norms and not just depending on white dominant norms within cultures. So I could kind of go on and on about kind of <laughs> what the work could look like, but in general, uh, it is about just helping them um, hear the voices in their own environment. You know, I think that's part of the key is that we have been um, conditioned for so long to not talk about it. And, you know, it's, um, I, I was thinking about this the other day because we were talking about, you know, Biden is looking at females for his running mate and people are like, oh, why does it have to be about, uh, about gender? Why does it have to be about that? He should just pick the best person for the job. And I was like, for years, it's always been about gender. We just haven't talked about it because it's always only been a man. 
they've never considered females for this role. And so I think the more we talk about it, and I love that you bring it up and you make it a specific point to show people that, you know, this is something we need to talk about. We can't just push it aside and say, no, we just want the best person because we're not considering all of the best people if we're not taking those things into consideration. Yeah. Um, so I love that you're talking about it. As yeah, you know, the, um, we kind of will take the common sayings that you can hear from a leader or a manager and then and try to unpack it. Even just the um, comment, we want the best person within it has so much bias around like, well, who gets to decide what are the skill sets right. and what are the experiences and what are the competencies that the best person will embody? Um, who's deciding what the academic um, background uh, and experiences are going to really lend to someone being success to successful in this role? Um, and then who is assessing um, once we have identified what those clear um, what those questions are? And if we find that um, the who there's not much. Diversity is specifically racial diversity, ethnic diversity, and the who. Um, oftentimes, organizations are able to answer those questions, and they're really confused on why they're not able to have and attract more people of color. And right? so just helping organizations unpack that and realize, like, oh, 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 you know, it can be hard, you know, because that's a lot of work of rethinking things that have been just anchors for us and how we've made decisions. Uh, but that, but that is the work and the value that it brings to organizations when they're able to really see transferable skills and other approaches to doing the work and how those things actually still yield towards great results and sometimes even better, often better results than um, what was initially thought of in terms of hiring the the best candidate for the role. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite quotes, air quote, you know, best person for the role. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't, we don't want the best. We're, we're getting, we're throwing away better looking at, looking for perfection. So no, I, lo I love it. I love it. Um, so, uh, so you developed a diversity EQ and a race EQ model. So talk to us a little bit about how you developed that model and how and why EQ is woven into diversity and racial equity. Yeah, um, so, you know, emotional intelligence, one of the first components is just self-awareness. Uh, and you don't have true self-awareness if we're not really aware of how I, our identities um, really impact how we show up and how other people perceive us. Uh, and likewise, um, when we are deepening our knowledge around diversity and race, uh, we're where if we're not conscious of emotional intelligence and the skills that's around that, being able to interact with others in ways that are effective and productive um, can limits our capacity and limits our ability to be to be more effective. So for me, it's like hand in hand. You know, you really they both take the work to a deeper level. And so um, after doing this work, I, you know, and, you know, just on the ground within the organization, that's one of the things that I, that uh, a lot of my clients enjoy is like, I'm not, it's not like I've been a consultant all my life. You know, I've been inside the organization, a leader, trying stuff, piling things, failing, messing up. 
And so just being able to personalize um, and relate to the struggle and just how hard this really is, um, is just one of the things I bring uh, to organizations. And, and also just personalize it. I can say for myself, as I was deepening my own understanding about my own identity, I realized, you know what? My dad got his GED. He, um, you know, dropped out of high school, got his GED, went into the military. But just that act within itself allowed me to travel to other countries and get exposure to other cultures that I otherwise would not have had, have housing um, in neighborhoods and communities and um, racially diverse communities that otherwise would not have experienced, uh, gave me access to different school systems in different states um, on base and not on base that I otherwise would not have been exposed to the differences and the resources and so I essentially lived a middle-class life that I otherwise wouldn't have had if I grew up in inner city St. Louis, Missouri all my life, which is where my dad was from. And so just even myself unpacking how my own privilege and the identities and the experiences that have given me privilege and how that then translates to how I connect with others um, has been deeply meaningful for me. Um, it's helped me understand why I show up the way I show up. It's helped me understand why certain situations have been hard for me to navigate. And it also allows me to then um, approach my colleagues with more inquiry in ways that I otherwise wouldn't have. And so um, the components of diversity EQ are personal diversity mindfulness, like how are we aware of um, our own dimensions of identity, how are we aware of our own privilege and even um, oppression that we carry within our um, ourselves, unconscious bias that we um, that we bring and that kind of shape how we uh, enter the world, and even just the concept of intention versus impact. You know, all of those things are concepts around personal diversity, mindfulness, and just being mindful of how our identities impact us, uh, which link to emotional intelligence and self-awareness. Uh, the second component is just leveraging and managing that personal diversity. So just that knowledge of myself is one thing, but how does that mean and how does, how does that influence how I show up um, in meetings, in my interactions with others, how I feel confidence or not in using my voice in various situations really varies. And that's a competency, that's a skill set. There's multiple dimensions that we can grow in um, as individuals. The third component of the model is social diversity mindfulness. So that's really around how much we know about others. Um, and what is our skill set even in putting ourselves in situations to learn more about others, not just at work, but also in our personal communities. Um, and then the last piece is leveraging and managing social diversity. And that really is around, based on my knowledge of self and my knowledge of others, how do I then um, build team? How do I then um, negotiate conflict when there's a conflict uh, that needs to be um, navigated? How do we share power? How do we think about that in small team interactions and then also organizationally? And so, um, you know, it's funny. I'm like, I feel like I was doing this work and just in the day-to-day -day and as I began to consult with um, clients, this just became a helpful framework and a helpful way for them to understand what does it mean to grow as an individual 
and how do I think about the skills and competencies? And I think because there's so much research out there on emotional intelligence and the value that it brings to organizations, people really can relate. They really can relate and understand how they can take that knowledge to a deeper level and be more effective. Yeah, I love the, the overlay, right? Because the, the, the two are so important. Like you, I mean, you, you said that already, right? Like you can't really have um, real diversity and equity and inclusion if there is no emotional intelligence. And once you have that emotional intelligence, it's hard in this world to think about having true emotional intelligence and not bring in diversity and equity and inclusion. But I think a lot of places look at them as two separate tracks. Um, and, but to embed them in each other, I think just makes it easier for people to take what they're learning, to learn about both together um, so that as I'm learning about my own self-awareness, I'm also understanding what that means in terms of race and equity and inclusion and everything. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, even in this space, when people say diversity, sometimes that's a placeholder for people of color. And so even just that language itself, not everyone identifies with that. Um, and realizes that like, oh, that's, that's me too. Like we all have, we all have diversity. Um, that doesn't mean person of color. So just understanding what the language means. And there's a reason for that though, because when we think about the dimensions of identity, um, we all are less likely to identify and understand the areas where we have privilege we're more likely to identify and, and relate to and understand where we have um, non where, where our identities that are non-dominant. And the reason for that is because that's where we have to like, that's where we're hustling, you know? You know, for someone who, um, I don't have to worry when I'm crossing the street, like if there's a, a little ramp down, you know, because I'm just walking, I never think about where those are. But for someone who's in a wheelchair, they, they need to think about that and where that is on each corner and whatnot. And so we just notice things that we have to navigate when we are um, experiencing the world through a non-dominant identity that we just don't think about when it's dominant. And for some of us who have multiple dominant identities, it can feel as though diversity is just these people over here and not me too. Uh, and I think that's a huge component when it comes to diversity EQ is just helping race to the surface yeah, no, we all have these different dimensions of identity. And then, and that is influencing how we show up. So let's dig into what that means um, so that we can be more effective in terms of just our own knowledge of self and how we come across intention and impact. And then even just how we're connecting with our, our colleagues. Yeah, that's huge. That's huge. Um, that kind of goes back to why Wendy and I do this show. <laughs> about all of, those, all of those impacts and and um yeah that that really gets down to the core of, of why we're here um so then given all of that uh what do organizations need to be doing to bring that real meaningful ready change and then specifically because we are hr wonder women um what's hr's role yeah uh that's a really great question you know i I really think that it's helpful for organizations to know that the work needs to happen at multiple levels. Um, you know, diversity EQ and race EQ are helpful models with 
at the individual level and even the interpersonal level. So like my view of myself and my own learning and my own work, my interactions with others. But then there's also the institutional level. Um, so the policies, the practices, the systems within organizations, and then the systemic level, which is really just the world and the environment and the culture that we're in. You know, all of the other organizations that are in our industry and just other things that really make up the system, the ecosystem that our organization sits in. And so understanding that there's work at every level and understanding what is the work that I can influence at each of those levels and what do I need to keep in mind, you know, in my leadership role is just a really important thing because sometimes organizations will handle diversity issues by just, oh, let's remove this one person in this position because they did this one thing. And like, actually, it's not just about that one act. You know, that one act is one thing, but there's all these other practices and systems and norms that we're all um, impacted by that need to kind of shift or be reevaluated that need to be adopted because it's the people that make the practices and it's the people that keep the practices in place and so um, I can go on and on about that but I, I, I think understanding there's work at every level um, I also just think that there needs to be um, stakeholders strategic stakeholders in the organization uh, sometimes HR, I think, um, and this is actually specific for HR leaders because I was an HR leader um, inside an organization. You know, we can all identify with just traditional HR and when organizations view us as traditional HR, which is our role is very transactional, or strategic HR, we're really thought partners to leadership. We're thought partners to the staff and we're thought partners to people managers. And so, when it comes to ready work, I think it's important for HR, for us to understand that we are now thought partners. And so how do we help our internal stakeholders understand what their role is? Um, how do we help leadership understand their, what their role is and position them for success? How can we help coach them along? Um, and as well as just the internal DEI or race equity task force that are within our organization and, and people managers and then just you know, often HR is the starting place for creating systems and policies. And so how do we reevaluate our hiring practices, our succession planning and leadership development practices, and really try to be intentional um, and coach and train our, our internal stakeholders around having more inclusive practices. Um, and the last thing I'll say is just measuring data. Equity work is really about disaggregating data. Um, and so we're looking at hiring, you know, like, who are we hiring? What's the racial breakdown of who we're hiring after the fact, not like when you're about to make the hire and you're counting, people, but like, after the fact, so it's not about this one hire or that one hire, but just overall, when we're looking at our practices, we really shouldn't see a difference by race. Uh, we shouldn't see a difference by any other dimension of identity. And if we do, that means that we have more work to do as an organization. And that should be what drives the strategies the organization adopts. That would be my advice. Easy stuff. Easy peasy. Yeah, that was, you know, when Ann read the question, I'm like, yeah, 30, set, 30 minutes or less, tell us, you know, easy answer, easy answer. But I think, you know, I think you're on, there, there's so much, so much great stuff in there, but I, I like that whole, you know, the data, the data is going to tell you where you're at and, and where you need to work on it. And it, you know, again, just, you know, emphasize what you said there. It's not about that one position and, you know, who, who are you going to hire in that one position, but oh, your overall strategy, 
And how are you getting more diverse candidates into your pool so that they have a better chance of, you know, of, of improving your mix? That yeah. didn't sound right, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, seriously, sometimes organizations like, we need your help. Look at all of our policies and practices and tell us how we can be more, you know, attract more diversity and be more equitable. I'm like, what? No, I'm not doing that. Um, this is what we'll do. I want yeah. you to show me how many people apply to your position. I want the demographics of that. Show me how many people made it to the, the first round. How many people made it to the second round? Because basically in the data, um, if you find that there's any points in the pipeline where you're not getting the data that you'd like, that will then gear your strategy. So if you're not even yeah. attracting, you know, um, I, certain identities or folks from certain backgrounds, then let, that lets you know they they either don't aren't interested in your work or you're not advertising in the right places. So there's all kinds of strategies around attracting them. But if you if they are applying and they're not making the phone screen, or they're not making it past to the second round interview phase, then that lets you know, ooh, maybe there's coaching to do around how yeah. we're phone screening or, you know, that sort of thing. And so, you know, understanding, looking at the data at the different points uh, in the pipeline really is a great way of understanding what are the challenges that are unique to us that we can try to put some, some strategies around. Yeah, I love that. It's, yeah, it's not about just not throw more hay on it. Let's figure out where <laughs> where we need to shuffle out the hay to find that needle that we're looking for. So love it, love it, love it. Well, Tamika, it is now time for everyone's favorite part of the HR Social Hour. So we have it here in the HR Wonder Women as well, but we do have our female list. Um, having said that, we always talk about networking because that's, that's what we're doing. We're introducing people to you and um, helping you find new people to, to meet and interact with. So um, how has networking helped your career and what has been effective for you as far as networking? Yeah, um, I am a huge proponent of networking. Uh, I love the African proverb that says, um, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so I, I had a friend who told me, you know, who's your board of advisors? And I actually have a board of advisors for my role as a mom. I have a board of advisors for my career. Like I have a board, you know, I have a number of different board of advisors. And so I think about networking as just, you know, connecting with people, hearing their story, sharing your own story. And then just, you never know, there, there are always different ways to, to make connections down the road, just based off of knowing what folks are interested in, what they do. Um, and so in terms of my own career, it's funny, I, I know this is just a question about your career, but my, one of my closest friends, I've never lived in the same city as her. We've been friends for over 15 years and we met at a conference in a city that neither of us lived in but we just stayed in touch because of the connection we had and we're still friends to this day and so it's those types of connections that i have found really valuable and i would say even when i shifted out of my corporate role to start uh, building for mission it was the network that allowed me to get my first few jobs and continued in fact i had a higher turnaround with the connections that my network made because people could guarantee the quality. And so that has been huge in terms of just what are the returns that happens. Uh, so, so with that, I just try to make it a point to always uh, make time 
for other people uh, when they have questions or if they're just starting out because so many people have helped me out and made time for me. So, and I've just sat at their feet to learn in, in various ways. That is terrific. I love that idea, a board of advisors for all the different roles and all the different things that you're, you're doing with your life. Um, so that's networking. The other thing that we think about is like, who is out there that we can be learning from? So who is a woman from a traditionally underrepresented group that we should all be following? Yeah, so uh, Latasha Morrison, she is a woman of color who is in the faith-based community. She wrote a book called Be the Bridge. Her organization is called Be the Bridge. She is an amazing speaker and teacher and presenter uh, and a great resource I would recommend. Uh, I also would recommend uh, Carrie Ann Suarez. She is the ED of Equity in the Center. She is pivotal in really connecting practitioners, the philanthropy community, the nonprofit community to really talk about what are real strategies that are that organizations are using to center equity uh, in their work and helping not only individual organizations have that network, but also using it to influence the sectors um, of those organizations. So I would highly recommend following her. And then I would say Michaela. Uh, she uh, started the, pod, the, the podcast Side Hustle Pro. And what she does is she just interviews a whole bunch of women of color who uh, have started their own businesses while they're currently working, so Side Hustle. And then when they launch out on their own and just all of these women are an inspiration for me and I know they would be an inspiration for anyone else who chooses to follow them. Wonderful. Well, we will add those to the show notes. Um, I may ask you for spellings later. <laughs> Send me some links so I get the right people. I've, I've made the mistake and I've tagged some wrong folks um, in a few of them. So I always want to make sure we get, get people to the right people. That's, Happy that's to the do key. that. Awesome. Uh, so Tamika, what is a favorite movie of yours that features a strong female cast? Hmm. You know, um, the first thing that comes to mind is A Different World. Oh. It's an old TV show. It's actually not a movie. Um, <laughs> that's a little cheating. But it's just an old TV series, and it's um, a, a bunch of students that are at a historically black college and just their day-to-day -day life and just the inside jokes and the banter and just how these young people are growing and developing. I don't know, I think it just sticks out to me, you know, given that pivotal stage of when I was watching it as a growing teenager and, and young adult. I would also say maybe if I'm trying to find a movie that I have found beneficial, probably Best Man and maybe Set It Off. Uh, both of those movies, I think, have a lot of Black women in it and women who have some powerful roles and have done some significant things later in their career. So yeah, those would be my favorite all-time movies. They're oldies. oldies <laughs> good choices. Good choices. I remember watching A Different World. Loved it. Yeah. Good, cho good choice. Good choice. Yes. You know, stuff becomes classic for a reason. Um, how about a favorite female musician or band? Um, yes. Musician or I, Whitney Houston all-time fave. I can't sing like her. I make a joyful noise. Um, but she is my all-time fave. I also love uh, India Irie. Mm. Just some of her music calms me. 
and it's just focused on empowerment. And so, uh, yeah, those are my two all-time faves. I think if there's a local artist, Nikoise Music, she's more of a spiritual um, songwriter and leader that's locally based. And so I've just kind of really gotten into her music and have tried her. So definitely would love to, to pub her music as well. I'm excited about a local musician for you because we are local. So that makes <laughs> her local for me too. <laughs> nice. Yes. And Tamika, you are showing your Gen X there for sure with Whitney Houston and, uh, and a different world. I think that's definitely <laughs> bringing that out. I love it. Um, so favorite fictional female from a traditionally underrepresented group. Favorite fictional female. You know, um, I know this may be cliche, but I've always loved Claire Huxtable um, in the Cosby show. I just, the way she balances being a lawyer and working and being a present mom has just been so aspirational. Um, and even the uh, very professional uh, demeanor, but also like, don't try to get over on me. <laughs> that she brought to to her roles and to that character so she's one of my faves and if I were to share uh one that is more recent it would be Cookie on Empire I know dramatically different black oh. family <laughs> but just the colors and her makeup and her different outfits and just her confidence and knowing who she is and the value she adds to those around her her passion to develop other leaders and songwriters. Those are by far my, my favorite fictional women. Those are great. Those are great. So our next question is, what do you like to do outside of work? And we ask this um, partly because we want to know, but partly because we know, like there are studies that show like the more we know somebody, the more we know about somebody and see them as a real person, that's a great way to break down barriers of bias um, and so it's, it's important. So it's, it's not just, um, it is not a fluff question. It really helps us to learn um, more about each other and see each other as whole people. So with that, what do you like to do outside of work? Yeah, um, with three girls, two of which being elementary schoolers and one of being a middle schooler, uh, my life is very full outside of work in this season. Uh, so I, you know, go to a lot of basketball and games and track meets and I do a lot of hair and, and braids. I do my hair and their hair. So we have hair weekends every other weekend, which is always fun. We can watch TV, one of these shows and movies and then do hair. Uh, and we also do a lot of bike riding, especially now. Uh, so yeah, I just love spending time with my girls and my daughters and my family. And if I were to say a couple of things that are just unique to me, uh, I've developed a practice of just walking in the mornings. That allows me to listen to music or podcasts and just center myself. Uh, this season is very busy with lots of things. And so just having some time to myself in the mornings uh, has been critical. And I think, I mean, I think it's fun, but I do my own gel nails. I've been doing it since high school. I've been getting my nails done since high school, doing it myself, probably, I don't know, for at least 15 years. 
So I, that's just a hobby of mine. People always wonder, why, how do you have time to do your nails? I'm like, because I don't, I do it myself. So I, I enjoy that. And I also enjoy um, watching natural hair videos in my spare time. There's so many women out there that I learn from in terms of their hair practices and techniques. Uh, and so I love watching them. I love answering other people's questions about what products I'm trying and what techniques I'm using on my hair. And I get a lot of joy from that. That's awesome. Uh, that's awesome. Um, I love that you answered that question in terms of things that give you joy because that's yeah. specific. I mean, seriously, though, that was not yeah. the specific question, but I think that. Um, to go back to my point about the question that we learned a lot from you, just knowing that that's how you think about the answer. Mm -hmm. mm. Exactly. Thanks for that. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, well, Tamika, so, you know, we, we talk about a lot of heavy stuff on the podcast and, you know, we ended on a little bit of a lighter note talking about, you know, movies and TV and such, but um, really want to end it out on a, on a high note with, um, what, what's giving you hope, especially now things are so hard and we're so down and, you know, we're, we're out, we're hiding. Um, we can't get out and see people, but what, what's bringing you hope at this time? Hmm. What is bringing me hope? Um, so I'm going to answer this question honestly which means it might be a little bit, my, I'll, I'll put this disclaimer out there and say my, my younger sister often makes fun of me. Like, Tamika always asks deep questions. And so just get ready for a deep question or a deep reflection. But what really gives me hope, um, when I, my first thought is when I think about when I'm feeling hopeless or on the verge of hopeless, uh, what helps me in those times has been thinking about my ancestors and just how um, the various challenges that they have navigated, the confusion um, that they have navigated, the hardship or the day-to-day -day routines, the responsibilities um, of my grandmother, you know, work, you know, both of my grandmothers have seven kids and they work full time. So, I mean, my challenge of working from home with three kids seems a lot smaller than that. Like, I can make it if she can make it. And so, I honestly, just grounding myself in truth and reality gives me hope. And it lets me realize, like, it's not that big of a deal. You will make it through this. Um, remembering those who have had it much harder, they, they give me strength and they give me hope uh, in the current circumstances. So, that's my, that's my true answer. <laughs> I, I I love it. Um, yeah, thinking thinking back to what what used to be that can and how far we've come. You know, I think there's a lot of it. We talk a lot about how far we have to go, but I think there's some hope in how far we've come in in just being able to have these conversations. So, Tamika, this was just phenomenal and fantastic, and I'm so happy that Anne has brought you to HR Wonder Women. I think this was. I absolutely adored this conversation. Um, you, you were gonna love her. I know, you were right, you are right, as always. Thank you for always. having me. Yes, so um, please please tell us, um, tell our listeners how they can find you out in the, the interwebs, because um, I know they'll want to, uh, to connect with you. Yeah, you can find me online at www.buildingpermission.com 
C-U-I-L-D-I-N-G-F-O-R-Mission.com. Or you can find me at, on LinkedIn, um, Tamika Mason or Building for Mission, and I'm also on Instagram. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, and we will have that all in the show notes. Um, how about you, Anne? I feel behind the times that I'm not really on Instagram, but um, <laughs> the reality is okay. I'm, I'm seriously on Instagram to see pictures of those grandbabies. Um, the best place to find me is Twitter at A-N-N-E-T-O-M-K. Um, if I'm on social media, that's primarily where I'm hanging out. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I'm Wendell93. Um, or you can find me on my blog, mydailyjourney.com. Please don't forget to rate, review, and share this episode with others to spread the word about HR Social Hour and HR Wonder Women. Um, thank you, Tamika, for joining us today. This was fantastic. Um, thank you, Anne, um, as always, for being my co-host. Um, so for the HR Social Hour Half Hour podcast and for HR Wonder Women, uh, this is Wendy. Now go tell your story. 